morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. Welcome. And this is the Geopolitics Alphabet Soup Special, Trump 2024, COP27, G20. Quite a mouthful. Hello, Chris. How are you doing? I'm very good, Rich. How are you? Great. I'm doing very well. So, yes, Trump, COP, G20, Ukraine, Kherson, a UN vote, a lot of big players and big movements around the world uh, this week. And some of them haven't finished. So COP still going on. They haven't passed all their resolutions. Um, Trump did announce that he's going to be running for 2024 presidential uh, candidate, his third bid. Uh, and of course, like I said, G20 and Ukraine. Um, lots of things to discuss. So where do you want to begin, Chris? Obviously, this has been an incredibly busy week. With a list like that, our viewers are going to have to forgive us that we did have to cut out all references to Matt Hancock and go into into our celebrity. We just didn't have time, but we know we had to pick our priorities as and when they are. Um, so just to actually jump in, so obviously we know here that Trump has finally made his announcement that we all knew he was going to make. Um, he's made this after a disastrous midterm election, which as much as everyone hoped it was going to be a red wave. It ended up being more of a, a blue splash. Um, mm. Didn't happen. But he did make his announcement. Now, I was watching the video and I just saw when he came out, it's, it's a well-known sort of meme that celebrities come out, uh, politicians come out with songs. And usually the artist that song comes out afterwards saying, never use my song again. Famously, uh, I think it was born in the USA last time. This one was like the songs about Vietnam, don't use it. This time, Trump came out to this one. You want to pull that one up, Rich? Oh, you've sent it to me? Okay. <laughs> no. Sorry, okay. Let's take a look. Okay, uh, one second. Oh my Couldn't God. have been a worse pick. A left-wing protest song. Well, that's what it's used anyway. <laughs> About French peasants and the, the French Revolution. Somehow he thinks that has... It's, it's beyond me. <laughs> to be honest, it's one of those instances where if you wrote this, you'd go, that's ridiculous. A billionaire... Yeah will walk out to the song of French anarchists and revolutionaries from the 19th century. Yeah. Yeah. I thought something more like Nelly the Elephant would have been more appropriate, but... <laughs> well, in... Um, are you aware what song they played when he finished his speech? What was it? YMCA <laughs> by the Village People. He's done that a few times. He really likes that song. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like... I mean, I've always felt like... I, feel like I always felt like those songs were like this, that If you don't toe the line, you'll be working in the YMCA. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I always felt that Les Miserables and, uh, and, uh, and YMCA go hand in hand. Village people and Les Miserables, that's a perfect, uh, perfect combo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Obviously trying to, trying to broaden his base, I think. Um, you know. <laughs> anyway, Definitely. but yes. So I, that, that was quite the entrance. Uh, Really was. I, I think what's quite interesting is I watched his speech. Well, actually, I was only allowed to watch some of it because the news channel I was watching, Sky News, uh, part of Mur Murdoch Media, uh, switched and cut off his speech about 20 minutes in, uh, as did others. Fox News also did the same thing. Um, I thought his speech was, yes, a bit more controlled, a bit slower, a bit steadier. Yeah. My feeling for that was that it was... Trump's actually a bit more dangerous, slightly more dangerous in this sense, because he's coming across more coherently, coming across more calmly. Um, yeah. A lot of Western media took it as him being boring. They said it was boring. Obviously, with the Trump speech, there's always you're waiting for the banger. You're waiting for the racist comment, the outrageous thing, the ridiculous thing. Let's inject ourselves with bleach or whatever it is. Um, you're yeah. expecting something like this. Um, sure. In that sense, it was not it didn't have that content. Um, he did lie a few times, obviously, as he does. He Trump does lie, he just makes up stuff. He talked about the COVID, his brilliant COVID yeah. 
um, plan and response, which you know is utterly ridiculous. Um, but I don't know. I disagreed with the media in general because I think that a more coherent and smarter Trump, a calmer Trump, could be more dangerous um, because he's not as unhinged. Uh, so so yeah. I know that people say he his thing is that he talks uh, freely from the hip. He still did speak freely. I mean, from what I saw, I don't think he had a teleprompter. Um, so this was still organic, um, but it just seemed That's calm. The, I don't know what you thought on the Chris. Yeah, the, the fact that the media said those things, it actually surprises me because I would have thought this is the type of speech that four years ago, Fox News would have said, this is the moment where Trump seems presidential. And that's mm. what, this is uh, what I felt Trump in president mode rather than entertainer mode. Like he didn't, he didn't lash yeah. out and call the fake. I think at one point he, he did that silly voice that he did. And he said, I'm not going to make a comment about the fake news media. I was like, well, you have by saying that. Yes. Yes. You, you, <laughs> I can see that you really are trying to bite your tongue. He, he did a few right. gaps. He, he said at one point that um, during his presidency, there hasn't been a war in decades, which made me just think, you don't know how long a decade is. You were only president for four years, and you did have wars in that time. <laughs> yeah, so, so you're both already wrong on the, on the calendar and on the fact. Yeah. yeah. I think he thinks that because I didn't declare war, it's not a war. Like, dropping the mother of all bombs on Afghanistan it feels like a war if you're under that bomb. I'm not and, sure. It's yeah, and it's striking water or a cruise missile strike on Syria is not war. That's yeah. just, uh, you know, cruise missiles. Obviously, some of the things that, some of his bragging points were true, which are interesting that the media, the, the American media, do attack him for. And he, he said, I went to meet uh, Chairman Kim Jong-un. We had a relationship. I was the only president to do that. And that's a good thing. And mm. absolutely, absolutely right. He was, that was a good thing that he did. Reaching yeah. out, regardless of what your political affiliation is, reaching out to make peace with somebody that you don't necessarily agree with is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think for some reason know, the media yeah. attacked him when he did it. Even though when Obama suggested the idea of doing it, they said, oh, Obama wants to make friends with dictators. Fox News congratulated Trump for doing it. And it was rightly so. But I suppose it's like the saying, a broken clock is right twice a, twice a day. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that his point about uh, trying to calm tensions with North Korea and create some sort of new diplomatic dispensation with North Korea was a positive thing. Um, yeah. Uh, if, if, if that had gone further to the point where US troops could leave the peninsula, that would be a positive thing for, for everyone, I think. Um, so, yeah, I think opening up those corridors to make those kinds of advances would be good. Uh, yeah. Obviously, the the thing that people uh, that we're talking about last week and to the uh, lesser extent this week, it took a while for them to count the votes. Um, but obviously the midterms and, you know, Congress and the Senate. So just in case you don't know, the Democrats kept the Senate, so they still hold the Senate, but they lost the House. But usually the House is lost uh, at the midterms by the incumbents. So if you hold the presidency and the, the House, you'll usually then lose the House, um, historically speaking, by about 28 seats or two dozen seats um they did lose the house but not by the same margin the, the the republicans just managed to scrape through i think 218 but the point being that they just scraped through and many people say this is um a sign of trump's weakness because trump's endorsed candidates weren't as successful as um expected uh yeah a lot of people have said that i don't really want to go over that unless you really want to talk about that chris i, I don't know if that's if you've got something um, specific on that at a glance it does to a large extent, feel like the Republican Party is over Trump fever. Um, I don't know how true that. I wouldn't want to sort of nail my flag to that post because these things can mm -hmm. change. Uh, I think a lot of the the rhetoric has done them a disservice. For the past two years, really, the MAGA base, the Trump supporters, you've not really heard ideas come from them. All you've heard is accusations. And it's very difficult to sort of win elections on just accusations. People want to know a solution going forward. And when all you've got mm. is an attack of the enemy, it's hard to sort of win appeal of that. So I, yeah. I don't th think there's even anybody in the Democratic Party who really likes Joe Biden. Joe Biden didn't win because he's a good politician. He won because he was not, yeah. because he's not Trump. 
anybody at that point could have won. Hillary Clinton, if they picked her, could have won. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, I, I think there was an interesting point that the New York Times made about um, not necessarily the mid, well, the midterms, but just in general electoral politics in this, in what will will will, will come as well for the 2024 run, is that if you push the idea that 2020 was stolen, which Trump does and his sort of candidates do, if you push that idea, that undermines confidence in the electoral system. If you say it's stolen, it's rigged, they can you know have the keys to the castle, they they run the game. And you then follow that with, or a few months later, whatever, you say, oh, go out and vote. But if it's rigged, why should I vote? So yeah. there is a massive problem, actually, in the rhetoric of that. I mean, I don't know if it's enough to break through things like, you know, the abortion question or guns rights or the single party issues that generally dominate American politics. But it is a rhetorical problem if you go out and say the elections are rigged, go and vote. Well, what's the point of voting if they're rigged? Uh, you know, there's a problem there. And, and at least according to the New York Times, which is not pro-Trump, um, noticed this or made this point. Um, but it is a, I think there's a, a, there is a valid rhetorical point there. Yeah. And the fact that they did it with such specific precision that it wasn't just, oh, they're rigged somehow. The fact that this, it's these particular Dominion voting machines that, and then saying, now go out and vote for our people on these exact same machines that were rigged the last time was up. But, You've completely destroyed faith in the system. You, you've right. made an right. apathetic voting base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, I think it is a valid point, and I, I think that, that he's going to have to twist some interesting, uh, do some interesting acrobatics to sort of, you know, play both of those trumpets with one mouth. Um, yeah, because I don't think you can both. Yeah, of course, because Trump did something similar when he was running for presidency. As I don't know if you watched caught it over the weekend. Um, David Chappelle did a skit for SNL and I, I thought it was absolutely hilarious and one of the parts that he did at the beginning which when he was talking about Trump's uh, primary in, for the Republican Party when he said the, um, it's all rigged and they said oh how do you know it's rigged and he said it's rigged because I benefit from the system as today I give them money is that that was the perfect way to do it because yeah. it's true this was the, the, as David Chappelle says, it was like we've never had someone come from inside the house before, come out to the peasants and say, "You have no idea what we're doing in there," and then go back in. <laughs> and then walks back in. Yeah. I, like, I saw that. Saw that again. If you'd done that yes. again, rather than going from the angle, oh, it's it's rigged because of a voting machine or something, which they can't even say anymore because Dominion's put incredible lawsuits against all of them for more money than anyone should ever have. Right. So they can't <laughs> use that excuse anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I also watched Dave Chappelle's thing, the opening of the SNL monologue um, that he yeah. did. I, I do, if, you've, if you're watching this, I think you should watch it. I mean, I don't think it's, his, it's Dave Chappelle's best work. It's not his funniest bit, but I think it's a very good observation. I think it echoes that point that we live in a time where comedians are able to and are making some of the best political commentary um, and our journalists and whatnot are perhaps lacking. Yeah. Um, there was a great analysis. Yeah, as you said, he told them, he told the paupers, you have no idea what they're doing in the house there. And just walk back in. And I know because I'm one of them. Yeah, definitely. But well, coming, coming on to, you said, I uh, mentioned legal stuff there. Um, one of the big sort of overhanging questions with this whole thing is Trump obviously has multiple uh, legal cases against him. Um, I'm not going to go through all of them, but the big ones, obviously, FBI grabbing the documents at Mar-a-Lago, the secret documents that he was ho holding there. Um, you have then in Georgia, when he makes that phone call to try and get the votes from 2020, he phoned the, the governor and said, hey, you know, find me some votes. And there's a, a case, a legal case um, in relating to that. And there's a couple of things with his businesses in New York and his family. There's a whole bunch of things going on. But yeah. the, the question is, can someone who is convicted, can a criminal um, run for office? So I did a little bit of digging around and some people sort of refer to the a specific sort of bylaw, not a bylaw, I might be using the wrong term there, but there's a law that says, um, uh, one second, where is it? Uh, that, that essentially someone who has been charged with a particular felony of having taken documents may not run for uh, any office 
let alone the president. But this is one of those really weird things where you have a constitution and you have laws and you have instances, and there's many of them, where you have unconstitutional laws, which means you have illegal laws, uh, in, at least in my understanding, which is bizarre. Uh, but that does happen. You know, yeah. constitutional they overturn laws. Uh, this happens. So in the constitution, the only thing that uh, bars you is your age, uh, nationality, and I think that's it. Um, as long as you are, have lived in the country for 12 years, are a citizen and uh, are over 35, you can run. Um, yeah, residency and age that's, and citizenship, that's it. So from the, from the constitutional side, there's no, it doesn't seem to be any other way. And also some, uh, the, the Hill, is a, I got something here from the Hill, which makes a very valid point that Eugene Debs, the socialist leader, leader from the early, early, early 20th century, he ran for office while in jail. So, so I think, I don't know, I don't want to say that I'm certain, but The Hill has said, Debs did it from jail. I think the question has been answered that he will run, even if he gets convicted, even if, um, you know, all that stuff happens. And also, you know, going to court for me and you, Chris, or ordinary people is, is, is almost sort of life-defining thing. And, to, you know, something that, uh, you know, you, you can't really fight. You, you might only have one chance. When you're rich, when you're a billionaire, Court is a very different thing that can take decades or years because you can just pay for appeals and, yeah. and, and the appeals and all sorts of stuff. So on many levels, I don't think the whole legal question is going to stop it. No, I can't see it doing at all. And from the prosecution side of it, uh, obviously a lot of these are political appointees. I can see from their side of it a hesitation to prosecute him because it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy when you've got somebody saying they're coming after me, they're coming after me. So do you really want to then go after him? Because all you're going to do is at that point is galvanize their base. If you arrest Trump or any of the Trumps, you effectively made them look like a martyr. They could be mm. more popular in prison than out. Right. Right. Oh yeah, oh, exactly. I mean, obviously we saw January 6th and he does still have that, that base, I think he does. Many people still refer to that base. It's still yeah. technically, I mean, this, let's all get our crystal balls out now. I mean, um, yeah, a lot of this is just speculation, know, and neither of us are, are sort of legally trained, especially under American law. There seems, there seems to be a sort of free for all over there. That's why constitutional law is such a big study subject to study over there. Where in Britain, I'm not sure Americans are, because obviously here we're a um, constitutional monarchy, but we don't have a constitution. We've got what's classed as an unwritten constitution, which is fragments of scattered documents here or there that they call a constitution. Mm, mm, mm. So, I mean, yeah, if you want to do some real crystal ball stuff, the only person that's put his name and in, in, in name down is, is Trump. Um, Biden, from what I heard, he uh, has been saying that he, he, he will run. Uh, he will yes. run again for 2024. He, from... What I heard was that he will make the announcement in January, family decision. He's turning 80 this month. Um, if he runs in 2024, he would be 86 when he finishes. So 82 in two years. That, I mean, that is some uncharted territory uh, for, for a leader, for a president. I mean, bear in mind, he had a meeting with Xi at G20, which was three hours long. I don't know if there's many people over the age of 82 that can manage a three-hour meeting coherently, um, Biden especially. So I, I just, I would be extremely surprised if they put Biden down. I would be, I, yeah. would, I, I, don't, I think the American people, the, they voted for a one-term guy. Um, yeah. I, I can't see it. I don't know what your thoughts are. If I was to guess from the Democrats, I, the usual suspects, Hillary Clinton, I, I, I doubt she's actually left the arena since... She lost last time. She's still there with her board waiting to get picked again. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Sanders runs again because there's no one really from his flavor of the left to replace him. Yeah. I mean, the only thing with Sanders is the age. He's even older than... Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I know that I'm pinning a lot of this on the age, but, I mean, that is also... It's a big know, thing. Across the world, it's, it's quite a, a, a quite a materially <laughs> defining thing. Over yeah. 80, it becomes extremely unlikely. To, to run, like to with leave. Biden, it's so obvious as well that he is, it's not that he's unfit to be president, he's unfit to be out of bed half the time. Like he falls upstairs, he goes to states and says that I'm in a completely different place. He just gets stuck on stages. 
Like he is a senile old man. He needs a blanket and a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, I did see some footage of him walking, uh, and uh, it was stiff. He's a very yeah. stiff guy. I mean, I know they try and get him to run on stage now, and you know, <laughs> with the and, and the sort of you know finger guns and all that kind of stuff. But I, I yeah, it's not. There's moments where he looks skeletal. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't like to, to you know, you know, speak badly of him because he's old. But it's just a, you know, we're talking about someone that needs to lead. Yeah, that's it. Stick. This isn't just a random OAP that we're being mean about. This is the pre the, the leader of the free world. Like, <laughs> you right. can't be electing people who you you have hesitations is going to survive a term. That's not. It's not yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, right. Exactly. Um, but on the other token, I, I I mean, obviously, yes, you said uh, Clinton, Sanders. I don't see Kamala Harris um, running. I mean, when's the last time no. you saw? Kamala Harris sort of, you know, I, I don't know, it mentioned, I, I, I listen to the news every day. I read quite a lot of news, I think. And yeah. I don't really give a catch or mention of her on the BBC and a lot of, a lot of places. I think no, after, she, after she was in Vietnam, that was the last big thing I heard, but she, she came here to Vietnam. She went to uh, South Korea not too long ago, I think. Um, she's deeply unpopular, which yeah. you should have seen. She was, she's a woman, so she had that uphill battle anyway. Um, She's not white, so that's a, a double sort of negative against her in terms of instant popularity. She she had a struggle, but it's regardless of the, the her starting point anyway, it's the fact that she is thoroughly unlikable and she's not done herself any favours. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think she's a strong candidate. And um, no, I don't think she'll win um, in, against Trump, probably not. Uh, but yeah. But I guess this is as far as the crystal ball could take us. Obviously, Ron DeSantis, yeah. Ron DeSanctimonious, as Trump likes to call him, uh, um, is the only prominent individual that's been named sort of uh, at least repeatedly, at least in what I've read. Um, the other people are, you know, Mike Pompeo, uh, maybe Mike Pence. I mean, Mike Pence is the got to be the least charismatic uh, leader. I've maybe uh, only in comparison to Ed Miliband. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. It, it was sort of. American yeah. Miliband, that's <laughs> um, At least yeah. Ed Miliband was allowed in a room with women on his own without his wife. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So I think we're done with, with America. I think the oh, yeah? old right. Hank Mike Pence thing has sort of damned his popularity yeah. in the American yeah. night for a while. Can't do much from that. Yeah. I, I, there's a big problem. There's a big problem. And with, with yeah. anyone, you know, with the whole Trump. I don't know anyone who's ever had effigies of them made by their own party saying hang him has ever come back. That, that would be the political comeback of the century if we did. Well, I mean, obviously, I don't know how much January 6th guys represent the whole party, but I, um, yeah, yeah. I, think of, <laughs> I think there's a lot of complexity. It's not, it's not with, a good sign. With, with that relationship. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not a good sign. Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't know. I think I want to move on from the American politics uh, specifically, yeah. I mean, specific electoral politics. Maybe we want to. We've obviously got G20 to cover. We've got COP27 and, of course, uh, Ukraine and Kherson and all that stuff. I don't know if you want to get the Ukraine war stuff out of the way or you want to talk about the climate first. Or what, are your, what, are your, what are your thoughts? Well, regardless, the, the, the war, the climate, it's all been dominated by Ukraine. So I think this is all going to kind of blend together. I think we should just get uh, Kershon and the events of yesterday just sure. get the, get the yeah. box stuff. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, on the missile thing, I mean, it happened in the morning. So, this morning, for, it was today. It was today, wasn't it? It was in the last 24 yeah, hours. It was yesterday. Yesterday, okay. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah within the last 24 hours. Point. Yeah, last 24 hours. Um, I'll be honest. Yes, it was obviously quite scary. I put on the news to check what had happened. Uh, but as soon as I saw a crater next to a tractor, um, I'll be honest. I, I kind of started thinking, okay, this is this is going to be fine. This is not World War Three. Article Five uh, is not going to be triggered. Um, and to be honest, even if it had been a minor military target, I still don't think we would be doing this. Uh, we, we would be having World War Three. Uh, the reason I say this is because we've had a number of incidents where you've had Russian and NATO exchanges, and they've been worse. 
Um, if you think about when the Turkish shot down a Russian fighter of a Syrian on the Syrian border, they shot down a fighter. Like it was a military exchange, a military target being hit, a jet. Um, yeah. They were shot down. They managed to walk back from that. Obviously, that was the opposite. That was a Russian attack by on a, a NATO attack on Russia. But still, um, you know, it's NATO versus Russia directly. That happened. We walked away from it. It was fine. It was it was a bit tense. But that tells me that unless you see forces building up and intentional, you know, strategic or even just tactical moves, when you get to something like an actual sort of military act rather than a military accident, that's when you're talking about Article 5 and actual uh, military nuclear exchange, potentially. A missile landing in a field or even a missile blowing up a, a border post, um, something minor like that, clearly not intentional, not part of a bigger package. Um, it's not going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. And then when we found out, yes, it's a Ukrainian defense missile, uh, it was quite funny to hear how everyone sort of wheeled back the the um, the war talk uh, and went, yeah. oh, well, still Russia's fault. <laughs> Interestingly, when, when it first got reported, before any evidence came out, Biden immediately said, I suspect that this wasn't Russian. And it was his immediate gut reaction to, we're not going to go ahead with this. It was any excuse to not go ahead with this. With, with NATO and Article 5, there's so much bureaucracy involved that you can't really sleepwalk into a war. When you consider these African uh, border skirmishes that happen where it can happen by commanders, a war can be broken up by commanders without the generals knowing, soldiers start shooting at each other and then it spreads and then the commanders find out afterwards, and like, oh, I guess we're at war with our neighbour now. That can't really happen here. They'll find any excuse not to because of the because of the consequences, because these are nuclear-armed weapons states. Mm. They've spent so long drilling for this and making so much bureaucracy and so much red tape that it can only happen intentionally. And it felt, the fact that until an hour ago, the last video I saw of Zelensky an hour ago, still adamant that he is absolutely sure with 100% certainty that, that it was a Russian missile. It feels to me, the fact that it was a Soviet missile as well, that the Ukrainians that hit them, it feels like this was an intentional ploy by Ukraine, that an excuse to pull NATO in. At this point, let's be honest, attacking Poland to start a world war is a time on a tradition. This is a, <laughs> this is a, a play by play. Come on, come on, come on with a new one. Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially for Bandera, Bandera, it's like we we aimed at a Russian missile, but it hit Poland anyway. Like, what's not to love? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. It feels very much like this was a, a, a ploy, and the fact that the media quickly jumped on it it only took leaders of nato to say no we we don't believe yeah the story that's coming out we think that this was a ukrainian missile and they're still saying this i feel like people should be more angry about this the fact that we've got a media and an ally country that has essentially tried to gaslight us into a war here right right, um, right everyone's right. being I, very I, forgiving I think, of this yeah yeah i i think on there's stuff that we won't know for a number of years relating to acts that have happened, um, specifically Nord Stream 2, the pipeline. Uh, the fact that that's happened, you know, a key yep. piece of German or European infrastructure was blown up. Uh, the Swedish have investigated it and others have investigated it. There's no sort of clear indication of who did it. And I, I think there's just a lot of gray ops and a lot of stuff you know, yeah. under the table that we have no idea what's going on, but it's very messy and very murky. And as you said there, you know, that these Ukrainian allies, uh, quote unquote, are trying to uh, drag us or gaslight us into a war or trying to manipulate events so that they can get more support. That's definitely happening. Um, and some yeah. of it is quite, yeah, quite uh, obvious. Just some of it jump back up with Nord Stream 2, the reports, more recent reports that I've heard are accusations that this was directly the result of the British Royal Navy. Um, I've heard apparently this was done on the explicit orders of former Prime Minister Liz Truss as a way of buddying up to the Americans. If Liz Truss ordered this, then that'd be... <laughs> that'd be... <laughs> legacy, lady, well you really, really... Yeah, see, see, now that's more of a World War Three act, you know, 
and sabotage of key key infrastructure. That's more of a NATO Article 5 kind of thing. Um, that's a NATO piece of infrastructure. Denmark, it's in Danish waters, I believe. It's German infrastructure. That's an attack. That's an Article 5, in my opinion. That's all much closer to the stray, stray missile, even though now it's Ukrainian. But I guess, obviously, they won't trigger Article 5 against um, you know Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think... I think the result that this is going to be is basically just NATO troops around the border just being a bit more cautious, maybe putting some more radar equipment up so they can detect this sort of stuff coming in and so it yeah. can be traced in the future. So basically, the fact that Ukraine have got so much munitions that looks and feels the same as Russian munitions, because it is. Right, right. It just yes. feels like an easy, easy trick to pull. Yes. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, I think regarding then also um, just some stuff that happened at the UN. Um, well, actually, let's go to Kirsten first. I'll, I'll come back to the UN thing yeah. in a moment. Um, I think Kirsten, you know, the the, the uh, retreat from Kirsten um, and the Ukrainian taking it back. Um, I do think that is quite a sticky point for Putin. This is a place that was declared a part of Russia um, a few weeks yeah. ago. Um, and again, rhetorically and, and in terms of how is he going to navigate that sort of declaration? They're very, they had a very big ceremony, quite a proud thing. You know, they played the anthem and they all stood up and they had the guys there and they, they brought on the new um, republics and, and now the capital city of one of those, sorry, not republics, regions, um, you know, it has been taken over by Ukraine. So that's an invasion of Russian territory, technically. Um, that's quite awkward for Putin, I'll, I'll be honest. I think that is quite awkward for him. Um, it is. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Christian. So with any sort of military strategy, there's what makes sense for a general and then there's what makes sense for public PR. Um, obviously, from, from a military standpoint, what they've done does make sense. I, I've just sent here a map. Can we just pull this up, Rich? Yes. Yeah. If it will allow us. Um, it should. Okay. So th there's a lot of talk about uh, Ukraine taking territory. now. None of the territory that Ukraine have taken has been taken in the fact that they've beaten an army. Russia has withdrawn from areas and then Ukraine has moved in. So this area here to the south, this is the Kershan region. Now, what Russia have done, if they've moved on the other side of this river and as they have pulled back, they've blown the bridges. Now, you don't have to be a, a great military tactician to know that a river is exactly where you want to be defending from. This is now going to be almost impossible. Impossible. These borders that I that are forming now, these are, in my opinion, the new forever borders. I can't see these moving either way very much at all. I think this is basically now where the stalemate is going to be. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that entirely. Um, in terms of the river, so if you know your borders of most countries, apart from the ones drawn up by the British Empire. Um, rivers are a fundamental part of borders. And yes, yes, defensively, but also just, yeah, geographically, when you try and carve up a territory, it makes sense to use rivers. And yeah, I, I do think that that is, um, that is definitely happening. Obviously, yes, defensively, you have the river, but also in terms of negotiating, uh, you have a clear line. We say, okay, well, we have the side, you have that side, that's yeah. it. Um, so yes, there's a double reasoning there. I mean, I do, I do think that perhaps... Yeah, it was difficult to reinforce as well. When, when the Russians were on the other side of the river, bringing munitions across or bringing men across, you always have that risk of we're moving it across a bridge, which is a target for um, Ukrainian Air Force. Right. No, yeah, sure. So now it's um, eliminated. So, so what I would say to this is that uh, Scott Ritter, I don't know if, you, if, if people are aware who that is, but there's yes. a guy, Scott Ritter, on, on YouTube and uh, elsewhere, is an ex-Marine uh, and UN weapons inspector. Quite an important guy, actually. I believe he did quite important work in Bosnia and in Kosovo and whatnot. But he's an ex-UN weapons inspector. So he knows what he's talking about and he's a military guy. Um, and uh, he makes a very valid point that in the next, uh, but before December, so before, before the end of the year, before the end of December, those mobilized troops, so the uh, what is it, 200,000 men, so it's 300,000 total, some of those have deployed already, but according to him, he says there's 200,000 men are going to arrive before the end of December, so he says three or four weeks, but we'll just say the end of December. 
um, having been trained. So 12 divisions or whatever. So that's a massive change in the amount of forces on the field. Since the start of the war, the Ukrainians have had more men. Uh, the Russians usually have more kit, but that's changed now. The Ukrainians have kit too from NATO. Um, but 200,000 men are coming. And that either means the Russians are going to dig in, like Chris just said, on the border there, particularly in the south, or they could attack. I mean, there's no, there's no, you know, we can't guarantee that they won't try and take it all back. Um, there's lots of speculation by Western sources too that this advance that they've given to the Ukrainians is another chance to make another bubble that they can wrap around and, and, and close them in. Um, I do think that a lot of those forces are going to be going into Donbass. I don't think that Putin and the Russian side are happy with where the Donbass borders lie yet. So I think no. they're going to continue fighting for that till it's fully uh, all of Donetsk and Luhansk. I think that's yeah. what they want. And that's one of the first stated aims of the, of the, of the invasion. Um, but yeah. And then another personal comment uh, is, uh, is it Alexander Mercouris from the Duran, another great show uh, for geopolitics. He thinks that according to his view, it seems quite well read, quite informed, is the war is going to go on for at least one more year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't really given thought to that as to when it would end, but that's my sort of contribution for this one. Um, I do think yeah. Putin has got some awkward discussions to have, though, with, with, with the Russian people. But like I said, tactically, tactically, it should be fine. Yeah. And also, it's worth noting as well that, as history will point out, winter is coming. And these weapons that you, Ukraine have already used their stockpile of their original weapons, they're gone. They're now relying completely on NATO weapons. NATO weapons aren't winterized. These, the Russian weapons that they've got, these, these guns are built to work in cold environments. NATO's aren't. NATO's guns, half of them don't even work in sand. And that's where they basically conduct most of their warfare. I don't know if anyone's had a chance to fire I mean, uh, I mean, any British rifles recently, but they clog up as soon as sand hits them. They're not going to do anything when snow hits them. <laughs> I, mean, I, can, I can have a personal yeah. reflection. I mean, I mean, I would say they're completely unwinterized. You can use them. But I mean, I do remember using yeah. my rifle in snow and, and it, was, it, it, it was jammed a lot. My SA-80 rifle was not very good in the snow. As soon as you got any snow yeah. in the gut. Then it was um, it was top firing, yeah. But and then also you've got to uh, notice as well the Russians are at the moment carrying out um, up to a, a, allegedly a hundred airstrikes a day on Ukrainian infrastructure, um, aiming at their electrical plants because obviously Ukrainian trains are electric, uh, so that's stopping munitions getting to the front. Um, th this isn't going to be something that changes the outcome of the war, but it reflect on. When it comes terms to negotiating an end to this war, yeah, I think there was a big. Oh, there! I think the camera just cut out. I think oh yeah, there was a bit of a lag there for you. I could hear you still. You can hear me. Oh good. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah. So the there at least are some sort of I don't know crossing points or ladders or ropes emerging uh, in terms of negotiations. Um, so you did have the meeting between the, the US and Russian spy chiefs this week. Um, obviously, they're spy chiefs. We don't really know what they said. They wouldn't be very good spy chiefs if we knew. Uh, but the only thing that was publicly said was they talked about uh, nuclear weapons and trying to make sure that there isn't some sort of nuclear incident um, from any side, uh, Ukrainian or Russian, I suppose. Um, but you can already see then some sort of dialogue already happening. That's an example of, of, of you know, minds meeting. Obviously, there were meetings earlier this year between Ukraine and Russia, at the earliest start parts of the war back in March. But I mean, yeah, I, I don't think those were, you know, obviously didn't amount to anything. But now we're talking about direct talks between Russia and, 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 and the US, which is, you know, the chief person backing or country backing um, Ukraine. Um, so, I do think that's something to consider, that there's a line there of, of, of dialogue that's started. Um, that is the beginning, potential beginning of negotiations. But uh, I do think that the UN resolution also makes things a bit awkward for Russia going forward. So uh, the UN passed a resolution on Monday, um, 94 supported out of the 193 members, lots of abstentions, 73 abstentions, and then some votes against. So 
uh, 14 against. Obviously, Russia voted against, China voted against, Iran voted against. The abstentions include Brazil, India, and South Africa. So you can see a BRICS pattern there. Obviously, they didn't all vote against, but uh, an abstention is a soft way of saying that we don't, you know, we, well, as the name suggests, you don't want to go either way. But it's usually seen as being in favor, in this case, in favor of the Russian position to a lesser degree. But uh, yeah, but the point is that the still the motion did pass. So you do have a big chunk of the world that did pass this motion or agrees with this motion. And the motion is that Russia should pay uh, for damages um, inflicted during this war uh, to Ukraine. Um, I guess it is in line with the UN Charter. That's that's the argument being made by the UN, the people that supported it. But it, it does make things a little awkward for Russia in terms of uh, UN politics, geopolitics in that sense. Yeah. Are you going to add anything to add to that, Chris? I'm muted. Yeah, it's going to be a bit difficult, but obviously with the United Nations, with a country like Russia or China or America, it is effectively toothless. It doesn't have any sort of power to enforce anything against those countries. It, it's great for passing um, laws and decrees against uh third world nations or Timpot dictatorships that can't buy, buy back. Um, mm. But in terms of Russia, in fact, anybody who sits on the Security Council doesn't really have much sort of sway. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so the, I the, the, the reply to this, ignored. Right. The reply to this is that it's obviously, first, it's non-binding. It's a non-binding resolution. But secondly, yeah. as you said, um, I mean, the UN uh, has passed at least one I think it's a number of resolutions asking for the UN, uh, the US's blockade of Cuba to be lifted. And that's never happened. Yeah. So, yes, like you said, it, it doesn't. How many, have they passed against, how many have they passed against Israel? More than they ever right. passed against Saddam Hussein. Right, right, right. So, so there's the point is that it's non binding. It is awkward. Yeah. It's, it's embarrassing. Uh, but it's not um, something that necessarily will happen. Uh, yeah. That's just how it goes. Yeah. Okay. Any, any more thoughts on the war then on in terms of uh and Russia, Ukraine situation? Um, well, I think we're done on the sort of strategic side. Obviously, the rest of this is all is dominated by the same subjects, because obviously now we're gonna go into G twenty and COP, who again <laughs> made a resolution against Russia. Um so it just seems that everything's been sort of co opted into into one discussion. Do you want to jump onto G20 or G19? Well, I, G20, yeah, G19, which is missing, uh, you know, whatever. But actually, yes, let's go through G19. And sort of, well, since this Russia and Ukraine war has dominated everything else, including COP, which is about the climate, you have what she said to Trudeau. So apparently Xi Jinping met with Trudeau and apparently they had an interesting exchange. I haven't actually had the chance to read this. So I'm very curious. So if you want to go ahead. Yeah, so obviously, first off, if anyone saw the, the uh, cordial meeting that Biden had with Xi, uh, very polite, very statemently, as you'd expect leaders of America and China to talk to each other. Obviously, nothing of any meat or substance was said. It was all, let's be better friends, let's be better business partners, as you would expect. When it came to Trudeau, so Trudeau had a meeting with, with Xi uh, where they discussed... Um, the arrest of the head of Huawei, um, the arrest of some Ch Canadian tourists in China. It didn't sound like the meeting went very well, and it sounded like it was quite semi-hostile. Trudeau then went, went and basically told the complete outline of, of the meeting to the press afterwards. And then when they were in Bali for the G20, Xi called Trudeau. Uh, so I'll just get this link up here. So I've just sent it there for you. Okay, one moment. The fact that Xi did this in this manner, in public, he wanted this to be seen. Uh, so... Oh, one second. Sorry, that's still the map there. Um, I think you might have sent the same link there, mate. I have. I have sent the same thing. I've sent the correct one now. So I apologize. So we have to watch our masterclass advert first. Hold on. 
Oh, God, it's that a sponsorship through from YouTube Premium? Oh, yeah, before communism, oh, great. I mean, I, I, I imagine they're not showing the foot binding. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, is this that cult? It's it's one of those pieces of shit. Yes, it is. Here we go. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Wait for him to walk off. Oh, yeah. Yep, it's kind of slow. Walk off into the. So, right, yeah, now, I mean, the with that video, there is one line of it. I had to search for this. So the translator there was translating most of what he said. There is one line that the translator didn't translate, where he said, "We should have conversations in a respectful way, otherwise, otherwise the results can't be predicted." Well, that was interesting that <laughs> that the translator chose to. Mm, not mm, 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 mm. Right, 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 right. I thought yeah, that I mean, show, like, Xi wanted that to be seen. He wanted people to see that, yeah. of that complete dressing down and public castration of the Canadian Prime Minister. That, I mean, the way, the way that Trudeau walks off is very much like a, a child that's just been scolded, like, yes, you know, upright, very sort of, <laughs> he goes, and also he walks away. He's, he goes away and, and hides in a room somewhere, um, or, you know, at least away from the camera. <laughs> yeah, that, that was... That's quite an exchange. Um, yeah, I, you know, there's an interesting um, point to make about this is that, you know, when Biden and she had their exchange for three hours, there is something about, uh, you know, you have these public communications, you have these public statements and, you know, uh, where they do a speech next to each other. It is all very controlled. It's all very staged across the board, across the world. That's how it's done because yes, you don't want embarrassments or miscommunications or, there's a thousand reasons why you don't have the open dialogue regarding yeah. negotiations of whatever, which can get very gritty and, uh, and politicized. Also, yeah, so and just to, just yeah. to go into one of the allegations. One of the allegations that was made was that uh, the Chinese government have been basically bankrolling the campaign of some of the politicians running against Trudeau in the Canadian elections. Now, this probably is true. Now, the fact that China wouldn't want this saying is because when you say the Chinese communists are bankrolling politicians, it makes it sound worse than it is. The fact is, everybody does this. This is what we call special interest lobby groups. APAN in America, it, the, the Israeli lobby, that every country does this to influence the political group that will be better to their position. You want somebody that you can work with. It's not about planting the Canadian government with communist spies so they can take over and put the CCP flag up. That's not what it's about. It's about yeah. helping people right. who will be better business partners and be better state partners yeah. with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, there also is a degree of, of um, everyone else is doing it. So if you don't, you will not get the influence. You're at a disadvantage. You're at a disadvantage, yeah. So, it's kind of a, I have to get a gun because everyone else has a gun kind of situation or a nuclear weapon kind of situation that we all have yeah. to have them. Or a lot of us have, yeah, some, something like that. But um, yeah, nobody yeah. wants to be the first one to put it down. Right, 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 right. Interesting stuff. Yeah, that, that was quite, I mean, that's very, um, yeah, I, I've never, I mean, obviously I'm not, I don't know all of the footage of she, but I, I've never seen she do no. something like that. Yeah. To a, to a, yeah. a Chinese leader. <laughs> Do that sort of open dressing down of, of, a, of a western leader that's pretty nope, pretty i've bold. never seen it yeah, <laughs> i don't think i've seen it it's interesting very interesting uh yeah i mean 
she had a couple meetings. So obviously, you had the one with Biden, you had the one with Trudeau. The one with the original one with Sunak was delayed because of the the non-incident of this Polish um, uh, Ukrainian anti-missile anti-aircraft missile that landed in Poland. Um, yeah. But I did sort of just want to express a sort of, I guess it's a superficial observation. But if you look at that situation, so Rishi Sunak meeting with Xi Jinping, yeah. it's just it. I, Britain looks extremely weak uh, yes. there in that moment. You've got a guy, you know, Sunak, uh, Goldman Sachs billionaire, uh, who was beaten in the leadership contest by Liz Truss, who was beaten yep. by Lettuce. Uh, and you've got, you know, if you just, just as an observation on the political class as a whole, with Boris Johnson trying to get himself reelected after he lost his job. Um, and then, you know, our government ministers, I know we've said we're not going to talk about Matt Hancock, but Matt Hancock <laughs> was our health secretary, our health secretary during COVID. And he's now literally out in the jungle, half naked, eating insects. Yep. And so then you go sort of, this is Rishi Sunak. He's the leader of that. I think insects <laughs> are the worst. It's the, it's the best thing that he's eating out there. <laughs> God. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, Britain looks extremely weak right now. Um, in yeah. that sort of, you know, in that it's extreme. almost a, like a, a prestige. It's a power play, isn't it? You, if if you're in a position of weakness, even to be photographed next to someone like uh, Biden or Xi, yeah, yeah, even if you don't yeah. get anywhere, it's at least something to have a framed photo of afterwards. Right. That time right. I met somebody who mattered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't know, G20 stuff, the she and Biden's meeting, uh, not necessarily a, a groundbreaking meeting where they, you know, found and crafted a new way forward for a new world order. But I will say that both Biden and the uh, new leader. Sorry, I've lost you there. Or have you lost? He obviously stressed, you know, Taiwan is the core of our core interests, it's red line, but Biden definitely made noises about we don't want a new 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 cold war. Uh, no new cold war. Um which does show that he does want to go down that path of, you know, having a very fraught relationship with China. We'll see what happens over the next yeah. few months. Obviously, Nancy Pelosi went there a few weeks ago, a few months ago. Um, so, yeah, sure, Biden might say stuff in a meeting. He also might not be here in 2024, and we have Trump back, uh, or whoever, who might have a completely different chance, stance on yeah. China. Um, so, yes, make some noise. Okay, at least he wasn't uh, perhaps just mean uh, things are there's a lot of uncertainty right now in terms of the world uh, geopolitical situation. So yes, yes I, I do think that positive meeting, but who knows what's happening. Yeah. The other thing I want to say about the G20 is obviously just beforehand it was announced that um, oh. oh have I have I gone down, hold on. Oh we had a bit of lag. I think we're both here. On my screen. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, I think yeah. we're back. Can you hear me? Yeah, we had a bit of lag. I can hear you. <laughs> oh. Right, I've lost you now. Yes, we have currently lost Rich. Um, so whilst, whilst I was getting back, just the last thing I just want to say on that quickly is it was interesting that Zelensky managed to make the demand. Oh, I think he's back. Have we got him back? Yes, I'm back. Are you back? Yes. Go ahead, cool. <laughs> yeah. So the last thing I just want to say on, on G20 is I thought it was interesting that Zelensky was able to make a demand that he wouldn't come if Putin comes. Not that Ukraine isn't a member of the G20. Nobody was expecting you to come anyway. But apparently now it's just a granted that if there's more than five people in a room, Zelensky will turn up at some point. 
<laughs> to the bank money. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, then, and the other event, obviously, was the cop oh, event. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a nice quote, there's a quote here from from cop. Someone said, "We're on a highway to climate hell with our foot on the accelerator." So yeah. And uh, we, we do understand that the geopolitics surrounding Ukraine are important, you know, food, gas, energy, um, and all of this stuff. And obviously the people that are living there and the war that's happening. Um, yeah. But I don't think that means we have to drop the ball on hammering out the much, you know, yeah, materially much bigger issue, which is climate. Yeah. Um, you know, that affects everyone forever. Yeah. It felt like they were letting <laughs> Ukraine be an excuse to not really talk about it. And if they yeah. wanted to talk about Ukraine, honestly, they should have been thanking Russia. for They, they basically turned the Ukraine's entire electricity off. They've done more. They should be winning the Greta Thunberg's award this year for the best environmentalist. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, yes, they're certainly cutting down their uh, you know, electricity. Carbon footprints. Uh, <laughs> Let me help you. Right, 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 right. <laughs> no, but yeah, no. I feel like it has been used as an excuse to not really talk about anything. And unfortunately, yeah. I don't know, what what uh, level of environmental crazy people have come out in other countries, but in Britain we've had um, the newest group end oil now or just stop oil or something that's just been going around yeah. vandalising uh, priceless works of art, um, stopping traffic, causing people to not be able to attend funerals or stopping mm. ambulances were causing stroke victims to die in the back of ambulances. Um, just being an incredible nuisance and mm. this is what happens when the leadership drops the ball on this you allow crazy people to pick the message up and yeah we you don't even care about these people's message because their methods are so overwhelmingly hated but that is what people concentrate on like yeah. last year in no, the I UK mean... we had um, the group Ins insulate britain yes and I, I think a lot of people had no idea what this group stood for, other than stopping us getting to work on time. Right. I, I mean, I, I, I do sympathise with the, the the desire that you want a solution to this thing that, if left unchecked, will pretty much guarantee us to lose uh, almost everything that we, we can recognise, forests and the, where we can go on holiday, and where, where we can live, where we can work, how we live. Uh, food access. I mean, you're talking about something that is cataclysmic, apocalyptic, if left unchecked. So, yeah, yeah I do understand that, that frustration. With this discussion of how it is going, it is casting a blame on the effectively the blameless and letting the oh. people who are to blame get away with it. This should be attacking yeah. Yeah. industrialized capitalism, the people that are actually causing it. They're doing the same thing that they did in the, in the housing crisis where they blamed consumers. Instead of blaming yes, yes, housing yeah. providers. I mean, on a positive, on a positive note, though, uh, the sort of the one of the figureheads of of the anti of the climate movement, uh, Greta Thunberg, has come out and said that we must deal with the source, which is the system. This uh, this yes. form of capitalism we have, this system, uh, is the problem, and uh, I think that's going to mean that she can, she might not get as many invitations now to. Uh, you know, to the World Economic Forum, if she's saying that we need to get rid of capitalism. Um, That's it. But I, I do, I'm glad she said that. I'm glad she said that. I'm glad she said it, but I just wish she said it when people were looking at her. <laughs> I mean, she is 18, so I'll give her. I'll give her. That yeah, she 18. is. I, I, so I, I remember I think... reading an expose, I think, by one of the right-wing British tabloid rags, uh, I think the Daily Mail, trying to say, uh, "Oh, her parents are uh, communist agitators and stuff." I don't know how much true that is, but I just thought, well. They should have taught her a little bit better to be a bit more of a, an agitator herself if this is the case. It's all well and good mm -hmm. attacking the symptom, but talk a little bit more about the cause. Yeah. Well, I mean, she, she is now. She is now. I, I she agree. is now. But I guess she, is now. she didn't get, uh, perhaps she is the, 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 the greatest agitator because she, 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 got, she talked about stuff that got the interests. So not talking yes. about the system, talking about the superficial stuff, the plastic and, you know, do this and do that. And, and then got, you know, all that profile and then talked about the system. So in a sense, maybe we could say that she, she's been a very successful agitator. I mean, she's talking about the system of capitalism being overthrown and she's the 
arguably the most listened to, uh, I don't know, agitator person, climate person. I don't know. But yeah, I agree yeah. that, yeah, she could have started sooner. Bruce, I, I can't think, I can't think of another individual mm. who has yeah. got the, uh, the following mm. sort of personality um, that, that she has. She has got a tremendous platform. So it, obviously she, I'm, when she was everywhere, I know there was this huge craze of generally men attacking her. And it was always felt a little bit weird to me that why are all these like 40 year old men getting so angry at this 15 yeah. year old autistic girl who just doesn't want yes. the planet to suffocate. It yeah. always felt real bad taste to attack her the way they did. Right. Yeah. I think also, yeah, I think people that didn't need to attack her, they could just attack the issue or deal with the actual climate change, not attack her as a, as a, yeah. as a child. Child, yeah, yes, yeah. Um, I've got this up here for us, uh, to go into just briefly. You know, this uh, COP27, I mean, some of this is quite known in terms of how climate change works and and uh, the distribution, but if you don't know, here's a, a kind of breakdown of not just emissions but historical emissions. So, it's quite an important point is that if you emit carbon, it stays in the atmosphere for more than a, up, uh, definitely decades. I think up to 150 years. So it takes it for a long time. So stuff that was emitted in the 19th century is still up there. And a lot of that then is where you get the historical emission output from Britain and, and, and Germany and whatnot. Because um, I guess Germany specifically is quite green, but nonetheless, here you go. So there's 23 countries that are responsible for one half, the United States, nearly 25%, and then 150 for the rest. And then you've got China there with 13.9. But the important thing is, China right now, yes, the highest emitter, but also has 1.4 billion population. people. Right, so that makes sense. Um, yeah. But and then per capita, but if this has per capita, one second, let me see. I think it does. Here we go. Per capita. So if you look at per capita, China is 7.4, which is less than Japan, less than Iran, less than Germany, less than South Africa. Oh, uh, so, yeah, less than South Africa. Some parts oh, because of mining, um, and places like Australia are twice as much. Canada, twice as much. Saudi yeah. Arabia. I mean, obviously, there are some, some distortions here because actually the one that, the reason the Chinese one is so high is because they make everything for us, for everyone else in yeah. the world. Yeah. Obviously, the you, you could sort of argue that with, with Saudis as well. Like Saudis' yeah, emissions are incredibly high. They've actually got quite a small population, especially right. in considering to anyone else on that list. Um, but obviously, a lot of their oil emissions are basically being emitted on our behalf yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah um i think the the main discussion so we actually haven't caught we can't report on what the outcomes of cop will be because they still haven't hammered them out but the big discussion now is about a compensation fund so if something happens a flood or a, a drought some form of environmental damage and it can be scientifically proven to be linked to climate change then there will be a fund that poorer nations can use to deal with that. So like Pakistan recently, we didn't talk about it at all, actually. Um, no, we should have perhaps mentioned at least, but there was been a huge, there was a huge, huge flood, which, you know, destroyed billions and billions of dollars worth of, of, yeah, of the third economy. Of the country was underwater not so long ago. So, which is insane to think about. Like, I think in, in a lot of people's minds, incorrectly, a lot of people probably think that Pakistan is, is a bit sort of like the Arabian Peninsula in terms of climate. In terms of weather, it's maybe not too far, but it's more it's it's rock rather than sand. Uh, but still, it's not the type of place where you want to you'd ever expect it to flood like that for a, for a country like that to be that should be an extreme alarm bells. Yeah, no, absolutely, uh, and I, I think if we sort of remind ourselves a uh, year, just over a year ago, was it no two years ago, um, Australia. That fire, um, which burnt, I can't think it was a third, or not a third, but a huge amount of the country and, and killed billions of animals. Um, and it was unprecedented. So, yeah, that kind of stuff. I, mean, I think Australia has probably has a bit more money to pay for this stuff, but this is the, the big discussion being had right now. And people are making pledges. So, Scotland has actually put some money forward. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think mainly because they're hosting. Um, I feel like they need to lead in some sense. But yeah, I think that's all I can comment about COP. Um, and I think that's all we've got for tonight, to be honest. I don't know if you have anything else, Chris. No, I think I think we've sort of managed to cover quite a, a 
little bit of everything there, haven't we? We think we've done quite well. Yeah. No, I think we've covered Ukraine. We've covered G20 and at least how these things relate and also some American politics in relation to the election. So, yes, we will catch you next week. And yes, as I mentioned, next week we will uh, be a government, a state-owned entity, a state-affiliated media. We are going to yep. be nationalized. Um, so we'll we are now a public that. service. Yeah, public service, absolutely. And uh, we'll also, yeah, we'll be announcing that. And of course, our next topic, we're not sure what it might be next week. So, And obviously, just to elaborate that, so there will be obviously a name change to reflect um, our new governmental position. Um, that will yeah. be rolled out through the our YouTube channel and our Facebook social media accounts uh, in due course. So uh, if you see that name change, obviously it will be shown to you at the time, but do not worry and we'll guide you through it. We are changing, yes. The name of this channel is going to change, yes. <laughs> okay, cool. Great. Thanks, Chris, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks very much. Bye. Thanks for listening to Proletarian Radio. We aim to bring you the best Marxist analysis on current affairs, revolutionary history, and theory. Do like, comment, subscribe, and share our content to help us reach the widest possible audience. We are a small organization with limited resources, and we need workers' support if we are to grow and fulfill our mission. If you are able to make a one-off or regular donation, no matter how small, please visit our website at thecommunists.org and register as a supporter.